Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. I can honestly say that in all my years that I did youth ministry, I only ever forgot one student. Now you're probably thinking to yourself, is this something you should be bragging about? But let me explain the story. It, there, there's some interesting circumstances here. We, we had been painting our, ye- our youth room, and the kids had been working hard, and we were approaching noon, and so I decided to buy the students dinner. Now, before you think that I'm, like, super generous and really taking care of the kids, this was back when the dollar menu at McDonald's was actually a dollar. So I was relatively cheap. This was before they even had the $1, $2, and $3 tier. Remember back, they used to have the the McChicken and the, Mc, and the, actually it was the double cheeseburger. It wasn't even the McDouble yet. You actually got two slices of cheese on that burger for a dollar. So I told them they had to choose from those two things. They thought that was a pretty good deal. And so I went down the stairs, walked outside, got the church van, pulled up to the door. The students were waiting on the stairs of the church inside. I poked my head in and said, let's go. They jumped in the church van, and I drove about three-quarters of a mile. Some of you have actually been to that McDonald's when we went to Sandusky on the mission trip. It's not even a mile away. And while we were standing there and the kids giving me their numbers, my cell phone rang in my pocket. Why is Janet calling me? I answer. She says, is Alec with you? I said, I think so. Turns out, when I went in and told everybody to get in the church van, Alex stayed sitting on the steps for some reason. He just didn't get in the van. Now, I learned an important lesson there. Don't forget anybody. Double check, especially when it's a middle school boy. Always double check. But I went back and got him, and he felt bad. He felt like I had forgotten him. I'm not sure why he didn't get in the van, but he felt forgotten. And I think we've all felt forgotten at some point. I I would like to think that not all of us have been left behind or lost, but at some point, maybe we have. And it's a terrible feeling to have. You think that maybe you're not significant to someone. Maybe you're unimportant. Do I really matter to these people who have forgotten me? How could someone forget about me? Do I not matter to these folks at all? But on the contrary, it feels really good to be remembered, doesn't it? Going back to some youth ministry examples, I currently don't live that far from where a lot of my youth ministry students are, and I will occasionally run into them, even students that only came to certain events, and will stop and talk, and they're always saying, I can't believe you remember who I am, and it feels good for them to be remembered, and I'm not going to lie. I love that they remember me as well and that they stop to talk to me. It feels good to be remembered because it feels terrible to be forgotten, but it feels just as good to be remembered. So as we come back to the story of Joseph this week, we can't even begin to imagine how forgotten Joseph must have felt from the pit that he was put into by his brothers, to traveling with the caravan of Ishmaelites to Egypt, being sold into slavery and then put into prison because of the vindictive wife of Potiphar, 
he had to not only have felt forgotten and abandoned by everyone about, around him, but I'm sure that Joseph also battled feelings of being forgotten by God. But with what we have read today, we find that Joseph is not only going to be remembered by man, but it is very clear that God has never forgotten his servant, Joseph. And before we look into this passage today, let's break it down into our three points. And so, the first thing we see today is that Pharaoh has a dream. Now, arriving here in chapter 41, we find ourselves having been through a lot of Genesis. And we have seen God address people in dreams, but it doesn't feel like this, but doesn't it feel like this idea of God communicating in dreams has picked up substantially in the last few chapters that we've been looking at? Since the dreams of Joseph, it, it almost feels like we should expect the story that we're going to be reading to include a dream. And here we find that once again, it isn't one of the people of God that is being communicated to via a dream. It's Pharaoh himself. This is more than just a person on the street and even more than just a run-of-the-mill local king. This is Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt and someone who is worshipped as a god himself, actually. Secondly, we find that Joseph is remembered and his gift of interpreting dreams is once again found to be useful. When we closed out the 40th chapter, Joseph had interpreted a dream for the cupbearer of Pharaoh, and Joseph had asked him to remember him. But the text tells us that the cupbearer did not remember Joseph. But now, on the occasion of another dream that needs interpretation, we find that Joseph is remembered. And God once again uses Joseph to inform someone of the future. And lastly, we're going to see that God is going to use Joseph to help not only the people of God, but also other people groups. Joseph not only has an interpretation to give for the dream, but he also has a solution to the problem that God has presented in the dream. God is once again at work, and Joseph is now at the center of a story that's much bigger than himself. This is about more than just Joseph and the troubles that he, he has had. And to this point, the crises have only really affected him, right? But now God is using Joseph for so much more. And so we jump right back into the story of Joseph as we look at verse 1 through verse 8 of chapter 41. And once again, we see Moses driving something important home to us in the story. Notice how we start out again with this text. It's about the passing of time. Two years pass. And notice what it says, two whole years. The text is very deliberate to let us know that what's happening with Joseph is not happening quickly. This situation is taking a while to pan out. And you, you can imagine just how long this must have felt for poor Joseph. It doesn't matter what year it is or what country you live in, doing time, being in prison, it's difficult and time is going to pass very slowly. And as the story unfolds, it's a humble reminder for us that the plan of God often happens slowly and develops in His timing, not when human people desire for it to happen. And we know this story, and so we aren't really surprised by it, but 
this story should be a little bit surprising for us because our focus is shifting here a little. It's still the story of Joseph, but his path is now going to cross with one of the most powerful people in the world, if not the most powerful person in the world. A Hebrew man who was thrown into a pit by his brothers and sold into slavery by divine guidance is going to have his story be the same story as the pagan king of Egypt. And as I mentioned while I was lining out our points, God is going to intervene in the life of this unbelieving, rebellious leader by giving him a dream. And the first dream is an interesting one to imagine. Plump and attractive cows are consumed by, consumed by gaunt and unsightly cows. Now that's a dream that you would probably wake up from and think that maybe you had eaten a low-quality hamburger or something, right? What would make me dream like this? You and I would probably move on from a dream like that. Okay, that was weird. I'm going to go back to sleep. And who knows, maybe Pharaoh didn't think much of the first dream, because we do see that he just went back to sleep, but he dreams again. The point is being driven home, because the second dream is very similar. Because seven plump and good ears of grain sprout up, and then they are consumed by seven pathetic ears of grain. Now once again, I'll give you an insight into how my strange little brain works, because I really would like to have this dream myself, because I want to know how ears of grain swallow anything. Anybody else ever thought about this dream? Like, how does this work? And I'm also interested what a cannibal ear of grain looks like. That just intrigues me. I I want to know. But anyway, Pharaoh wakes up again, and, and we're told that, behold, it was a dream. Now, I'm sure this was of great relief to him to realize that cannibal grain isn't a real thing. But seriously, we're We've all woken up from an absurd dream and had to sort out that it wasn't reality. But Pharaoh obviously takes this all very seriously because we find that his spirit is troubled. And so he calls for all the magicians and wise men, and none of them can interpret this dream. Now this is interesting because these guys have obviously made a living by speaking in vague ways to interpret dreams and visions before. This, this is their job. And that's how the profession works, right? You speak with very little specificity so that you can't really be wrong about what you're doing, right? You, you're never really fully right, but the person that you're working with can fill in the holes for themselves so that they believe that you have the ability to see the future, that you're psychic, that you can do divination. That's how this works. But yet nobody wants to interpret this dream. Isn't that a little bit strange? So why, why are they unable to interpret this dream? What is it about this dream that has these hucksters unwilling to go out on a limb? Is it because God has confounded them, that they can't speak? Uh, because of it. Maybe they feel the gravity of these dreams in some way, and so they would rather not be seen as, they would rather be seen as unable to do their job than to be wrong about something like this. Regardless, we get that there's a sense of desperation here in Pharaoh. 
And this causes us to see our second point as we move on to our next block of text where we find that the cupbearer, after two long years, has finally remembered Joseph. While we have seen that Joseph has been forgotten about as he is in prison, we see that these dreams of Pharaoh have finally triggered the memory of this cupbearer. And why wouldn't it? You, you see Pharaoh upset about a dream, and two years ago, someone in prison helped you when you were upset about your dream. And you can imagine that he might also see this as an excellent opportunity to improve his status with Pharaoh. I mean, two years is a long time, but in his mind, I'm sure it felt like he was still teetering on the edge of his favorable status with Pharaoh. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that Pharaoh put him in prison. And so we find the cupbearer telling this story about his interaction with Joseph and Joseph interpreting his dreams, and then the fact that the dream came to pass. And remember, the dreams that were interpreted for the baker and the cupbearer not only came to pass, but they came to pass with specificity. Joseph did not give vague guesses like somebody who's reading your fortune on the side of the road, right? It was very specific. He said in three days it's going to happen, and it happened. It happened just as Joseph said it would. And so Joseph is no longer forgotten. And notice how you and I are brought into this story. He, he is taken out of the pit. Remember that the plight of Joseph started in the pit that his brothers threw him into. And even though things were good for a while with his time with Potiphar, he's once again been returned to a pit. So this helps us to understand that Joseph has not been living high on the hog here. This isn't a high-end hotel or a resort. The language used here reminds us once again of his low state. He's not only in a bad place, he has been humbled. It's more than, he's just, more than that he's just been taken down a few rungs on the ladder. Joseph is below the ladder. That's what we're meant to understand. That's why this language of the pit is used. And we see this in the fact that, that he needs to be shaved, and he needs to be given a change of clothes. And obviously this is obvious. You, you aren't going to go before Pharaoh looking like Joseph probably looked here. It's clear for us that the forgotten Joseph has been remembered. And so you and I need to remember this theme that we've seen running throughout the story. Even though it might seem as though Joseph has been forgotten by God, he has not been forgotten by God. God is not just the God who is with his people when they have success and when they go before pharaohs and kings. He is a God who is with his people even in the pit. And he does not forsake his people. It's important that we remember this truth because it also points us to an important truth in our lives. We can know that God does not forget his people because of the truth that Jesus descended to us. He left the glory of heaven to rescue his people. And this is the ultimate proof proof of the truth of God remembering his people. If he does not forsake us, even to the pit, in fact, if he comes to the pit himself by taking on our very own flesh and suffering the ultimate humiliation by going to the cross, 
then you and I can rest assured that just like Joseph, God remembers us. We are remembered by God. And what we see in this passage here is a full repetition of the dream of Pharaoh. We read it already, but we hear it again as Joseph is hearing it for the first time. Clearly, this dream is one of significance if Moses is going through the effort of repeating it for us once again. And we find that unlike the charlatan magicians and wise men of Egypt, Joseph, who is a man of God, he is able to provide Pharaoh with the interpretation. And we find that God has brought Joseph to this place in his life for this purpose. The purpose of providing not only interpretation to a dream, but advice on how to weather what is coming. And Joseph interprets this dream to only need one interpretation. Then that's pretty obvious. There are two sets of seven, and the unhealthy set of sevens consume the healthy sets of seven in both dreams. It's pretty easy to see they are one dreams. And Joseph makes it clear that the healthy set of seven is seven years of plenty. Things are going to be good for those seven years, but the feeble cows and the empty years of grain mean that there will be seven years where things are not going to go well at all. Seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. The years of famine will be so insignificant, we're told, that they will cause the years of plenty to be forgotten. And Joseph lets Pharaoh know that nothing can be done about this because the dream has been doubled, Joseph says. The years of plenty and famine are fixed by God And not only is it going to happen, but Joseph makes it clear that it is going to be brought about shortly. And this isn't good news because anything good you can take from the dream, hey, there's seven years of plenty, is going to be wiped out. Any good feelings you have, it's gone. So there has to be a plan. And this is where we find that Joseph is here to do more than just provide an interpretation for the dream He is blessed to have a plan. So Joseph suggests that a wise and discerning man, hmm, I wonder who that should be, should be put in charge of this. He should oversee the years of plenty to make sure that a fifth of the produce is taken in and saved. And this is all to be done under the authority of Pharaoh to ensure that it is done. And the purpose of this is so that they have enough food during the seven years of famine. And this is the plan that Joseph sets out there for them to follow. And it's a sound plan, and we will find next week that because Joseph has been able to interpret the dream and show this wisdom, he will be appointed to be the overseer of the plan, and God will use Joseph to rescue his people from this famine. When Joseph was put in the pit by his brothers, God had a plan. When Joseph was thrown into prison because of the scheming of Potiphar's wife, God was still with him in the pit, and God had a greater purpose for that. When Joseph was forgotten for two whole years by the cupbearer, God was bringing Joseph to this moment. When it didn't seem like there was a plan, there was a plan. When it didn't seem as though there was a purpose to what was happening in the life of Joseph, God was using it 
for the ultimate purpose of providing for his covenant people. And so you and I, we come to this and we seek to find an application for this passage as we depart from here and we step into God's world this week. We look to these truths that are exhibited in this passage and it can give us hope, it can give us peace in the truth that God does not abandon his people. Instead, what does God do? God works all things together for good, that he might be glorified and that he might accomplish his purposes. So we have seen a theme throughout the story of Joseph and a a theme throughout the entire book of Genesis. In fact, we actually see this theme in the whole of Scripture. And that theme is, is that God does not forget his people. The feeling of being forgotten is a terrible one. And there may be times where you have felt as though God has forgotten you. But we see here in the story of Joseph that God is always at work in his people, and we have an absolute assurance that God does not forget us. And in any and every circumstance, we can look to two concrete things that confidently let us know that God does not forget us and that God loves us. First, we can look to the work of Jesus on our behalf to know that God does not forget us. God made a promise to deliver his people from sin and the curse. And while from our human perspective, it may have been slow in coming, God did bring it about in his perfect timing. And we can also look to the means by which he did this and do and and look at this so that we can find confidence and peace in God. God the Son left the glory of heaven for His people. He suffered in our flesh. He died and He rose again. And we can know that God does not forget us because He accomplished salvation for us. And if He did that, we can trust the words of Jesus when He says that He will never leave us or forsake us. And we can also have confidence that God does not forget us because we have the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have not been left to our own devices, but instead we have the Spirit of God and He has been promised to us to be at work in us. And in the darkest of circumstances, you and I can have assurance that God has not forgotten us because we have this gift of the Holy Spirit that is working in us in those hard circumstances to mold us, to shape us, and to ultimately achieve that end goal of conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ so that we might bring glory to his most holy and precious name for who he is and for what he has done for us. So may you and I step away from here today and have confidence in this God who always remembers us. He always remembers his people, and he works all things together for our good and for his glory. May we always remember that we have a God who keeps his covenant and cares for his people and does not forget them. He does not leave his people, and he does not forsake them. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website, edgertonfrc.org, or our Facebook page.